Hello and welcome to another episode of 10,000 Hours. I'm Grant Spanier. And I'm Vince Kochi. And you are listening to episode 96. 96, I like this one because then there's the one version of the symbol right side up and the other one's upside down right next to it. I know, the opposite is so typically sexual and I felt like... Yeah, it's overt. It's crass. Yeah, yeah, and this is such a subtle form of that. This is cute. This is like a back-to-back, like, lethal weapon style. Like, <laughs> yeah, butt-to-butt. Yeah. Like, it's, wow, it's, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, It's playful. like a buddy, yeah, it's a buddy cop sort of film. Yeah, I'm totally in on of it. Of an episode, absolutely. And one of those delightful episodes where we get someone on, uh, or, well... They're from somewhere else, and we get a, a sweet, sweet accent. Oh, we love accent apps. We always rave about them, and this one is no different. He joins us all the way from, as he puts it, NZ. And He's then. a Kiwi from New Zealand, uh, and it was a great conversation. It was Sean Singh. Yes, the founder and, I was going to say proprietor, that seems redundant. Oh, no. You oh, yeah, I guess yeah, it implies no, right, that he's right. currently yeah, he's still he, he founded it, and he's still working yes, of Change, the company called Change, and he's he's sort of a rare case i mean a genuinely rare case he's a financial dude he's got an accounting finance background and currently does a lot of that but and i say but because it's so atypical seemingly although i feel like maybe this we conversation that illuminated that but, but yeah 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 he's he's a really artistic guy and he's got so much energy and man this is a this, is a, this was a good conversation it absolutely was. We talked about structure, and that conversation naturally sprung to constraints and expectations and how working as a, a financial person in a strictly creative enterprise is difficult for a lot of a lot of reasons, uh, none the least of which is the structure involved. Yeah, absolutely. But in, yeah, how, how much that opens up? The oh, structure how, breeds the creativity. Uh, absolutely. It certainly does. I have to imagine that some constraints were the impetus for this particular product, which is, well, the company, but the product is sponsoring the show. And that shouts out to Supergood, that's S-U-P-R-G-O-O-D, who I am, you're currently holding it. I am. I wanted to make this a really authentic (laughs) sponsorship portion of the intro. Yeah, I love it. Uh, They produce a few different products, um, two of which are the Slim and the Slim 2, which are wallets. And they're incredibly minimalist and incredibly beautiful. They kickstarted the original and the secondary. Uh, the Slim 2 is the one you have in your hand, which is a leather uh, minimalist wallet. And it, it looks great. It's got a and, little uh, X on it. It's, it smells it's great. genuinely Vince, my favorite wallet I've ever owned. And there you have it. I mean, that's a good enough endorsement. Uh, and it's, it's a rightful one. Uh, super cool. And hyper-functional, just the way minimalism should be. Just the uh, this, way minimalism yeah. was designed to be. It's so frequently misapplied, though. We have a fetish with minimalism yeah. uh, in this Take day and age. Yeah. Uh, but this is this is done right, and it's a really cool company besides. Just, so, shouts out to Super Good Co. And you can check out uh, the rest of their products and the wallets at uh, S-U-P-R. G-O-O-D That's super good Without the E Dot com. com Wow They hey, should nice. license that uh, From us That was incredible <laughs> Thank you super good And thank you To Sean Singh For, for joining us And having a really great conversation uh, And thank you listeners We hope you enjoy Episode 96 Structure I thought I had a ki- strawberry kiwi uh, sparkling ice, but it's actually a pomegranate blueberry. Uh. Maybe, maybe that'll be like my when we're a duo, you'll be strawberry kiwi, and all, my alternate ego will be pomegranate. Dude, Palm blue. world tour coming soon, man! It's gonna be awesome. I'm sort of curious, Vince. Grant, hey, <laughs> hey, buddy. We're sitting pretty close together, which is a real treat, and I just want to paint the picture for the 10K listener, just how near we are. we got to be... I'm looking at our elbows right now, two... officially shoulder to shoulder. Shoulder to shoulder, but even prior to that, we had to be like two inches from each other. Yeah, a mere, a mere handful of centimeters. What a treat, Vince. And whenever I get near you, 
this question always pops in my head. And it usually pops out of your mouth shortly thereafter. Shortly is debatable. <laughs> yeah, but, fair, Vince, fair. let's just get to it. I'm curious, what are you working on? What are you putting your time into right now? Uh, well, this last week has been all about getting ready to head out to Los Angeles. Uh, I'm, City of Angels. Yeah, that's right. That's what they call it. Uh, I will be on XL Energy commercial shoot, which I'm very excited about. There's been a ton of work going into it in the run-up, lots to prepare. Uh, we went through casting, which was uh, quite an experience. We had like 150 people try out for the wow. part, which was... Awesome to see your words come to life like that. Uh, and, Dude, yeah. amazing. So you wrote on it? Yeah, yeah. Matt, I don't know if you can say, but do you, could you tell, say who the director or production company is? Maybe uh, I don't know if we're, if we're yeah, announcing okay, that right, right. yet, but uh, some on a future cast. On I a future will. cast. Okay. They're an awesome crew, though. We've I'm going to want to hear talks. about that process, just because it's kind of like a part of what I do. Absolutely, man. I can't wait to tell you all about it. Lovely. And a, a rare sort of role reversal. Usually I'm gallivanting out to, <laughs> yes. to the West Usually Coast. Usually you're, you're on the B line to the West Coast. Uh, this time I'm taking my turn, I guess. And I'm on the A line to... Does the a, point A stays and point B goes. <laughs> yeah, point B is the one that changes. Point A is usually here. Hey, Grant. Remarkable. What have you been putting your time into recently? Woo! Uh, jamming out a bunch of stuff. Actually, stuff related to our guest today, which is quite exciting. Um, super pumped about all that stuff. Also, I don't, I mean, technically it's not confirmed, but I like to like mention something that could potentially not go through, which would be sweet. But I think I'm going to be opening for a band at, uh, and I won't even say the band just in case it really fails. Just in case it goes sideways. Yeah. But, uh, it would technically be my first like opening gig. That's um, very exciting. As like Sunnyside, which is kind of sick. I mean, I've DJed a couple times or a few times now at this point, but it'd be the first like legit performance, I would say. That's awesome. So I'm pretty hyped on that. Let's hear fingers crossed that it goes through and uh, let me know when and where. Maybe I'll yeah, Absolutely. I hope, I hope to be there. Guest list, baby. I, I only get one spot. Sorry, mom. <laughs> I'll pay for a ticket, man. All right. Well, you just pay direct, dude. That's how I fund the whole project. <laughs> Woo! And we're doing it. Oh, man. So I sort of alluded to it. Um, yeah. Some of the stuff I'm working on right now is related to this particular gentleman. And, man, I can. I can feel it in the air. We're both excited because shamelessly, shamelessly, we love having a, a good accent or two on the cast. We're accent fanboys. And accent is relative, of course, to the place you're in, but a non-American, a non-U.S. accent. Right, exactly. And I think, oh, actually, this will be the second. This will be the second Kiwi. Yes, it will. We yeah. had we had Sian, Sian, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Yeah, Sian. Uh, oh God, where was she, in the 20s? 30s? No, I think it, 50s? she was in the 50s, yeah. She was a 50, 50, she was 52, it feels like. <laughs> no, no, she's like 50, no, 54. All, All right, right, we'll show notes that. Our fact checker will get right on that. Honestly, that's been a huge uh, financial strain on the podcast, is paying <laughs> our fact checker. It's really irresponsible. Hundreds of dollars a week. <sighs> Speaking of finances, our guest today, as you may have guessed... Uh, comes from New Zealand. Uh, that's what a Kiwi is, I believe, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's... And that's kosher, right? That's politically correct. He'll tell us. But uh, finances. This is a financial... Oh, God. I was going to say financial maven. <laughs> I want to poke <laughs> Maverick. my... Maverick. Yeah, true, true. Maverick is maybe more accurate. I, when I say maven, I think of, like, social media maven, which uh-huh, is, like, the uh-huh. bastardiest. Bastardist? <laughs> Most bastardized. Yeah, title. Mm, not a fan. But he's a fellow who knows his way around a spreadsheet or two. And he's good with money. Yes, yes. yes. And he's currently uh, running, and I believe he founded a, uh, a firm, an agency. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but it's called Change. And I think, well, they're due accounting, financial stuff, and I'm sure he'll tell us a bit more about that. But they're approaching it very differently. And I, I've... Uh, I've been working with this guy for a bit, and his approach, especially in the realm of finance, is way different. Uh, and now I'm working with him on a project called Debt to Stock, a little brand called Debt to Stock. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Sean Singh. Hey, thanks for having me. Man, that was an exhaustive run-up. We Dude, typically... How did, how did we do? It was awesome. It was awesome. I wasn't sure if I was meant to start talking, let them just go, so I let you guys yeah, roll with it. They, they, they like, forgot about like it. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes I mean, it feels like that. Yeah. Uh, but thanks so much for joining us. And before we get to anything else, may I do the honors of asking you, Sean, 
What have you been putting your time into recently? What have you been working on? Well, as uh, Grant said, so I started a bookkeeping service called Change, which is pretty much geared solely towards the creative entrepreneurs who really just hate bookkeeping and accounting. And that pretty much launched probably two years ago. And over that time, um, I actually met Dave on a Skillshare course. And over time, I started getting more and more involved with Death of Stock. And that's pretty much two years later, I've kind of taken a bit more of a larger role in Death of Stock. So I kind of split my time between DTS and Change. And Dave, for those uninitiated, is David Sherry, former guest and uh, founder of Death of Stock. Yeah, and it's, it's actually quite funny how I met him. Um, which, oh, yeah. Yeah, which is quite, quite a funny story. But So this was probably you, you should tell that, yeah. two and a half years ago when Skillshare was kind of really getting going. And they launched that uh, Seth Godin course on business. And I took the course and they said the first people, the first hundred people who uh, launched their idea or do a project would get feedback from Seth himself. And I was like a huge, I am still am, a huge Seth fanboy. So I was like, dude, got to do this. And so I chucked on change, which was pretty much just a basic concept idea, and started getting all this really good feedback. And this is when I was making the transition out of the corporate world into the startup world. And David Sherry just hops on and goes, hey, do you want to chat for 15 minutes? And I was like, do people do this? Just randomly talk to strangers online. And so I thought, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And so that Saturday, uh, caught up with Dave. And it's quite funny because that conversation pretty much changed the huge direction of where my life was going. And we've kind of been chatting weekly since. Two and a half years later. Wow. It's quite funny. <laughs> Hell yeah. And I maybe we'll show notes this, maybe we won't. But uh, before you and I first hopped on the line, I was looking into you a little bit, and I think it was just like a Google search, and I found the conversation between you and David. Oh, no shit. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it might have just been your name plus Skillshare or something was a query. Yeah. And... Uh, it was like it was like your proposal on there, and then David's response, and it was just like incredible. That's that is a piece of really foundational history. Yeah, for, yeah, for the whole situation. That's amazing, and I think it's also that's one of those kind of uh, indicators too when you're meeting someone. Like, obviously, I'm a huge Seth fan as well, and like he's been really foundational and um, important in my path. And so when I first met David, that was like a huge thing. And uh, yeah, man, so cool. Yeah, and so whatever we do in the past, there's always like this really funny genesis of how it kind of got going. Mm-hmm. And like Skillshare has actually reached out a couple of times, wanted to like a story on us. And I was like, that's, oh, that's yeah. quite funny. Uh, so, so, you absolutely should. I'm just saying. And shout out to Skillshare. Skillshare is awesome. Oh, yeah, phenomenal. You know, we'll make a good, yeah. we'll make a good, um, a good love story one day. We can publish. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that warms the heart. How a boy from Auckland met a guy from Columbus. And then the polyamorous relationship uh, sprouted somewhere in between in Minneapolis. (laughs) Then the love triangle started going. What's going on in the mix? Yes, (laughs) that sounds like Grant. That's Grant's mo. Um, (laughs) The more the the more the merrier. I always say. (laughs) Uh, Well, so it sounds like you're busy, and I I think we should just dive right into what we're talking about this week. Our topic. Um, When you talk about finance, especially. In applying it to a, a fairly narrow niche in the grand scheme of possible applications for it and creative enterprises, uh, you're dealing with something with some natural constraints. You have to approach finance differently when you're dealing with a different you know, category. Uh-huh. Uh, and so this week, we're talking about structure and how it may inhibit but can often enable growth and creativity. Mm-hmm. And I think where this topic came from was just in collaborating with you, Sean, and seeing what you built and what we are continuing to build with that the stock, it's um I think you're maybe <laughs> you're a pretty rare breed in my opinion, at least from what I've experienced in the quote unquote finance uh like <laughs> you don't industry yeah. me as a normal <laughs> yeah man you, you've got uh, you've got an incredible energy but. I think um, what I really connect with is, and and as you and I have been like sort of really organizing and trying to get things structured within Death to Stock and and in general, a lot of the talks we've had have been around how that stuff really frees up creativity and how organization and structure enables a lot of those things. So maybe you can just give us a little bit more uh, insight into your philosophy on that uh, as this like what I would consider an incredibly creative person working in what is classically not considered a creative field. I mean, of course, you're like working on creative projects, but in the role or in the thing you're doing as far as like finance or accounting goes. 
Yeah, well, you, you hit the nail on the head where you're dealing with something where people hate. You know, like yeah, straight that's, away that's people loathe it. And when you're trying to sell them something and they already hate it, you're like so far behind, it's hard. And everyone has their own kind of unique tale or uh, story they tell themselves about the role finances play in their life. You know, from a personal aspect, it can relate to their family, but usually people don't like finances. It's been tied to a lot of pain in their life. And so when you see these people who start their own businesses, if they haven't got their own personal finances on lock, that same kind of fear is going to transfer over to their business life as well. And so trying to change, you know, retell their story or trying to address the fear of why they don't like their finances is really hard. You know, and creatives naturally don't like numbers. And, you know, naturally I play the devil's advocate when I deal with my creative clients. And one of the biggest things that creatives love to smoke crack, you know, like they're creative, they're creative crack, <laughs> you know, where they just, yes, yeah, 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 that's, yeah. that's a metaphor. Yeah, they, you know, they squat in the corner and they just go for gold, but it's really, they fall in love with their own ideas big time and they love it. And this, the, the hard thing is creatives are incredibly intelligent with, it's very easy for them to lie to themselves. And so I've always looked at finances, especially profit, as kind of being like a purifier for your ideas. You know, they're really objective. Where your creative is extremely subjective. You know, the numbers don't lie. It's the final result. You know, and there's huge power in terms of looking at your balance sheet or your profit and loss and using it as a mirror and staring into it and not being scared of it. It's not a full judgment, but there is power once you let it guide guide your creative decisions. You know, like profit's a perfect example because it's a good, it's, it shows you that your ideas are working because you spend more money, you know, you're sorry, you receive more money than you spend. You know, you have money left over. That's huge. And so starting at that basic standpoint, you kind of branch out into budgets and all the other good stuff. I mean, uh, absolutely. It's, uh, I was like biting my knuckle for a second because like, ah! What you're saying is too real. It, it hits too close to home. Mm. The fact that creatives are good at lying to themselves and the fact that, you know, profitability is sometimes construed as selling out. It's kind of demonized in the creative uh, fields. It's uh, it's seen sometimes as contrary to art. Yeah. When I think most people, most people who take a good objective look at the industry come to learn that that's not the case. But even some people who've been in it for a long time still harbor that sort of resentment. Yeah, that myth of the struggling artist really needs to die, I think. You know, it's yeah, totally go, okay to be a rich it. artist. You know, art needs to sell. <laughs> this is interesting. This is interesting. So I'm kind of curious. You're saying this. You're, I think in a lot of ways then, well, I mean, I consider what you do an art. Maybe the classical uh, perspective on that wouldn't be so. But what is it that motivates you to support these projects or, or to do this or to work in finance? Like, where did this come from? How did you get here? Well, yeah, yeah um, it's quite, it's quite interesting. Sorry. So uh, studied finance and accounting, economics, all that good stuff at university. Graduated pretty much a year after the global financial crisis. <laughs> um, so obviously... Perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously people weren't uh, begging me for a job. And I was kind of a guy who, who was like involved in a huge system of get good grades, do heaps of extracurricular around finance, do heaps of um, ongoing study, you know, post-grad and stuff, and I'll get a good job. You know, those are the rules, right? That's the system. And I pretty much couldn't get a job for 10 months when I graduated. And I was going through, inter- having like an interview like every week, just getting the door slammed in your face going, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And after a while, it really took its toll. And at that moment, what I didn't realize what I was doing is once I hit rock bottom, I was pretty much just choosing myself and decided to start getting a bit more involved in the startup space. And started, you know, in, uh, investing a bit more of my time in the startup community here, based in NZ, and that's when I started my own basic consulting firm, which was helping these businesses from the ground up, like small businesses, build budgets, and you know, pretty much taking all the corporate skills down to a smaller level. And in this time, I did end up getting an internship at a quite uh, well-known investment bank. And I remember my first week, I uh, went for drinks, and I realized, I don't know if you've ever had it before, when you sat down with a bunch of people and realized, these guys aren't my people. You know, the, the references they were making, how they were talking about people, I kind of realized, I've just worked for five years studying and to get in the industry that I just hate the people, you know, and I was like, hmm. I was making the wrong people money as well, and doing some really dodgy, slightly legal stuff, but really unethical, you know, from my point of view. And I remember quitting 
and going lucky enough to get a job working in a small VC firm specialized in uh, high growth tech companies, trying to expand to the US and raise money. And that was probably the best job I ever take. You know, and I always say why accountants make really good advisors uh, uh, is because while you know entrepreneurs have maybe seen the inside of two or three businesses, you know, accountants have seen hundreds. You know, mm. I've worked with a hundred businesses, every single industry. I've worked with a hundred entrepreneurs. You know, so like I've seen people raise money, be bankrupt, people lose their wives because the company went under. Like I've seen it all. Yeah, you know, like you're sort of like a therapist in very, a way, or like very much like therapy. <laughs> wow. Man, and that's so, interesting. Yeah, and so uh, once I was working with the VC firm, I said, hey, I've got an idea where I feel the creative entrepreneurs um, aren't really being taken care of, you know, and it was quite selfish because, um, you know, like people go, why did you start change? I always say, you know, it's from a real selfish point of view because I want to live in a world full of heaps of cool shit, great blogs, great apps, great movies, great music. You know, I want more of that shit and probably I can't, I don't have the skill set to probably make that stuff, but I could probably help the creatives who do. You know, if I could unblock them creatively, you know, two percent by removing the fear of accounting or the you know, fear of financial complications, um, they could go on to make some really cool stuff. And so it's really nice seeing the Chain Tribe go out, publish stuff because I think, you know, I help them probably one percent produce that stuff, just unblocking them mentally. And yeah, I mean, I would maybe argue with you on the percentage point there, but <laughs> but we don't have we don't have to get deep into that. But I mean, you're a bit of a patron saint in that way because yes, there's so thank few you, people. Thank yes, you. we we were both like sort of silently clapping and bowing to our mics here on our end because it it man, it's like it's a uh, I think there's something to be said too about like understanding well self awareness, but uh, understanding your skill set and like what you can do and where you can make the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. And like getting over the idea of like having to be in any particular role and just like being excited about the creation of the thing overall. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's yeah. it's kind of interesting because as I've kind of taken more of an operations role, kind of shifting or pivoting around finances, uh, it's been kind of good because I've been able to offer a point of view always based in numbers. You know, coming as a consultant mm-hmm. who kind of gets a creative vision. You know, I class myself as a creative and artist, mm-hmm. but just a very different art form. And based on my experience, I was able to bring something to the table. And that's what, kind of like how I fed into DTS quite well. Um, yeah. I wasn't, if I was another designer or, you know, another great, you know, yeah, another designer, another great copywriter, I don't know if I would bring anything really to the table because there are other guys that are just so good in that space. You know, by being able to shift in and going, you know, I'm pretty much the voice of reason or the devil's advocate. You know, sometimes I feel like uh, someone's mum or dad going, dude, do you really just spend 30K on that site? You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, uh, it's an astute point, and it actually kind of dovetails nicely into what I was hoping to ask next. And you've already kind of, like, uh, hinted at it, flirted with the answer. But you mentioned yourself as an artist and a creative, and I think certainly so far over this conversation, I don't know you personally. I know Grant does. Uh, but I would agree with that assessment. You don't trust my judgment. <laughs> I, do, I do, I do. But it, it helps to have spoken with him briefly already. Sure, sure. Um, when you're entering this space, the creative space, as an operations you know, advisor, financial advisor, and we're talking about structure, what are some of the barriers, the walls of this structure that you run into, and how do you creatively apply solutions to grow beyond them? Oh, it's a good question. Um, well, the first thing mentioned is the fear of finances or retelling yourself the story of the role finances play in your creative life. Like most creators understand the importance of a constraint, right? But they also don't realize how important a financial constraint is. And this probably moves in towards like budgets. Like budgets are like the best thing in your life. You know, it's like the best ultimate constraint. Uh, and probably retelling people going, a budget's not meant to be perfect. You know, it's meant to be something around that you need to adapt and be uh, progressive with. But once I start relating the finance aspect around budgets to other areas of the life, like we all have budgets in our life. We all budget our time, uh, our calorie intake, whatever. We have a budget right now. And the budget just needs to align with your overall vision. You know, if you're a bodybuilder and you want to be this huge ripped guy, you'll probably double your calorie intake of like 4,000 calories. And that's your budget for that day. Uh, personal finances or with your time is probably the best example that if you have a vision of um, spending two hours with your kids and being the most amazing dad and I and you told me this and I opened up your calendar I would expect to see big chunks of time dedicated to your kids solely 
you know, but so uh, so often there's a huge um, disalignment between your vision and your actual budget. And so when I meet businesses and they, or especially creatives, and they talk about this grand vision, and then I okay, cool, open up zero, or give me your uh, uh, expense sheet or profit and loss, and I go through the list of expenses, and there's this huge misalignment between the two. And so the biggest thing is uh, understanding how the budget should really reflect your overall vision. And that's probably the hardest thing is understanding, connecting that to and shifting them more and more together. I'm actually, maybe this is getting too in the weeds for our conversation, hopefully not, but maybe you could expand on that a little bit, actually. I'm really interested. How do, what are some of the pitfalls, and, and this isn't meant to be like a tips and tricks of budget making, but what are some of the constraints you run into with people misaligning their vision and their budget? What does that look like? I think the biggest thing is understanding your expenses. That will probably be the first thing. You know, not all expenses are created equal. You know, it's very hard to understand asking people questions, why do you spend money here? And then going through that list. Like I always, always joke about um, the three levels of uh, expenses, which is pretty much like painkillers. You know, these are painkillers. These are things when you've got a headache that really work and that really drive your business forward. Like no doubt about it. Whether it be investing in uh, development, design, anything to grow that top line. And those are the expenses that should go up first more than anything. And then you kind of have your second level of expenses, which is like vitamins, which don't really help the headache, but it's kind of like future-proofing further growth, education, seminars, and all that kind of shit. And the last thing is probably like Skittles. You know, don't help your headache what fucking whatsoever, but it tastes good and kind of mm. keep you a little sane. You know, Yummy. Which is fantastic, and you need them, but a lot of the time, people don't have those clear kind of class distinctions. And when the mm. cash comes in, it's like vitamins and Skittles, because that's the sexy stuff. You know, no one jumps straight to the painkillers. Man, okay, so there's so many parallels between the things you're saying. The first thing I think is when we talk about a budget being, being, you're, you're talking about uh, remove your fear and, you know, if you think of a calorie intake or you think whatever, to me, we talk on the show a lot about a draft uh, being the thing that gives us any sense of gravity or perspective or orientation. And without a draft, we're floating through space. Mm. And so to me, that's what a budget is. I mean, this is some, anything yes. to work from. Yes. Now we're talking about anything, and then we can move from here. So that's like point one. Point two, I think, is there's so many parallels, and I think this is where I get excited, and I, I think I connect with what you're saying about you know finances and creativity and how they can coexist, is like from a directing standpoint, when I'm directing any sort of project, I mean, especially I think of like video, like directing, directing, but it's like... It is those three levels. It totally is because we can take money away from here. We can, okay, wait, we need $400 for our department or we need $1,000 for this or we need $200. And it's like you ha you, you start to get really ruthless and smarter, I think, uh, as you go about where to allocate your money. And I think really most of, at least in indie filmmaking, most of the creativity besides, I mean, the script, the direction, like that, like the general stuff, like that's fine. But that's like... I not that hard. I want to say that's like not that hard. I think the hard stuff comes in actually producing it. And so I think like like uh, resource allocation is your biggest skill set with indie filmmaking and low budget production. You can make something look incredibly sexy, be incredibly sexy on a budget if you allocate your resources correctly. And most of that comes with like you know uh, the people you work with. And so sometimes that's not even al uh, resource allocation. Sometimes it's more of attracting the right type of talent or like being this but still again it's like i'm already voting with my resources my personal resources every day and my time budget yes. and how i spend that and it's just like yeah yeah fantastic i think there's you know we can get really philosophical in terms of uh, the importance of a budget but we should have a budget for all our important resources you know time money and energy and we should be adjusting it to the our new evolution of our vision monthly or every 30 days or every 90 days Going, I want to shift in this direction, update my budget. How am I going to spend my time, energy, and money to get there? What does, uh, what does your personal budget look like? Like, not financial. I mean, your like time, energy, values. Uh, time is, you know, I, I've got a life coach. Shout out to Chris McAllister. Same one as uh, actually Dave. Oh, man. I mean, former guest. Oh, really? Awesome. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wicked yeah. guy. Changed my life. Um, and so yes. I work with him a lot around understanding when I've gone through a new evolution of my desires or what I want. And he, he is pretty much my devil's advocate. 
and he questions everything, financial related, business strategic related, personal, anything. And then I map a budget of how am I going to spend my time to get there, whether it be reading certain things, engaging with, improving certain relationships, getting more involved in certain community. And I, you know, I move forward to showing my calendar going, this is how I'm spending my time. Does it align with what I'm saying to you? And sometimes it's just like, mm-hmm. no, it's not. You know, you're talking about something huge, but you're not allocating time in this area. If it's not on the calendar, it's not going to happen. And you're like, fuck, that's true. Same with your business. If you say, I want to expand to Australia, um, and we're running the company really, really lean, I wouldn't expect to see $3,000 on beers every month for the crew. You know, if the goal is trying mm-hmm. to run really lean for five years and flick it off, you've got to obviously adjust your spending that well. If you, you know, so yeah. So in terms of my uh, personal time, Shake, it goes into a lot of detail, which I don't know if we want to get too much into, but it's pretty much structuring it around growing my company, growing my personal life, and then doing things solely just for a creative outlet, which I don't really tell anyone about besides freestyle once in a while. I mean, and you're a killer rapper, <laughs> and we're definitely going to show notes the DTS war cry that you sent out. Even though you expressly told <laughs> yeah, it no, I before, before the, the actual tape started rolling, I, I think with Grant's final say, we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's what you get. You you sign sort of a, you know, a waiver by just coming on. There's a contract well, that's solely, in the yeah. air. I love those projects which are just solely for fun, well, but end up being a huge creative outlet. Like, you spend a whole morning writing that, just going, shit, that was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, it feels good, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, and, and that gives you so much energy for the other things it you're does. doing. And, like, yeah. good creative work begets, like, good creative work. Especially begets. when you release it to a crew who doesn't really give a fuck and they're all good about it, you know? Oh, it's awesome. It's yeah, like, I mean, dude, like, dude, listen it's to this. So, actually, that's something I, I would love to get into. Uh, and, and please feel free to scold me or just correct me if I've got this completely wrong from the get go. But sometimes it can be really hard, and this is a universal truth, but especially true with creatives, I think, to get them to invest time, energy, or money into something that doesn't pay out with obvious dividends of time, energy, and money. A great example of that would be like downtime. Let's say I go to my bosses or my project managers and say, a a healthy work-life balance, even in the office, means like 45 minutes to an hour and a half of like not doing anything at the office so I can think about stuff, I can look at industry news, I can just look at creative stuff online and get myself recharged. But that's a tough sell, right? Because it just looks like dead time, even though it's increasing the productivity of future time. Or maybe it's making the time I spend more efficient. Is there any trick to like getting people on board with that sort of thing? Have you found a way to contextualize that, or how do you think about that in general? Um, I try to, I talk about trying to convince them the importance of finance and accounting. Uh, the 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 ability to convince anyone in general to do something that will have a benefit of their life that they might not see immediately. Oh right, okay. The return on delayed gratification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's uh, it's it's kind of relative in terms of how you pitch it, this is probably just like selling in general, but aligning what you're selling with what they want in terms of the desire or their vision. You know, most, most people can understand accounting going, dude, you can't run out of money. You know, like you chose yourself, you're a freelancer, you're killing it, right? But money is the cost of playing this game. So you need to manage it. If you manage it, you can keep playing and no one can tell you what to do. Right, mm. and it's like a, a, how most accounting kind of works is kind of like a, a, a thing about like a pyramid. Like the foundation is bookkeeping processes, recording invoicing, tax, reconciling, all that stuff. Not sexy whatsoever. And the next level, once that's running really, really smooth, is being able to forecast your tax. Right, if your if your bookkeeping is really smooth and automated, we can tell you how much tax you're going to have to pay based on a forecast. So you can set aside money, and it's good. And like the top level, which is like the holy grail, is like business advisory. Right, being able to understand what the numbers are telling us, what kind of trends are forming, how can I use this number to make big strategic plays in my life? And a lot of people kind of run straight to that business advisory aspect without kind of building that solid foundation. You know, so if they talk about, I usually ask them about what kind of plays you want to make in your life over the next couple of years. Expand a business. I just want to earn uh, $90,000 for the rest of my life and only working three hours a week. Whatever their true desire is, we kind of build a strategy around that. And anyone, oh, anyone who's ever been, anyone who's ever been audited, 
or uh, being involved with the IRS or the IRD or where we are in the world, um, it's a horrible experience. And once you get on that radar, you never leave. You know, I've had a, I've had a client who accidentally just didn't file the proper return, didn't have it reviewed. And it was a com- complete accident. And the fact is the IRS picked it up. And now she's going to be on the radar of the IRS probably forever because of that one basic mistake. And they're going to scrutinize her forever. And so, like, there's the fear component, but as well as that desire component. Ooh. Ooh. Unlucky, first of all. I know, I was, like, cringing a little bit there. Um, But it is interesting when you, I mean... If we think of uh, if we think of our life and our ambitions and all those things as like the house, like our dream house, like how do you build the dream house? Like you need blueprints, you need Foundation, capital, yeah. you need a location, you need like. But too many people go right to picking out the paint. Yes. That go on the wall. Yeah, yeah, like oh, I want the jacuzzi. Yeah. Like yeah, I want the big room. Yeah. All right, that's the a first sexy thing, stuff. First Everyone wants the jacuzzi. <laughs> yeah. Concrete's not sexy. It's but not. It gets you the know, job done. have you ever seen a house with a solid concrete foundation and the ugly ass scaffolding? You know, like it's not sexy, yeah. but that's the most important part of a house, you know, Ugh. but no one wants to, no one wants their first purchase to be the foundation, even though that's what they don't want to put so much money in and have a giant slab of concrete for to show for their purchase. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Structure is delayed gratification it in is. so many ways. It I is. feel like, yeah, it's thinking 10 years yeah. ahead as well, you know, going and the foundation is very hard to come back and fix once your house is built. <laughs> You know, so it's really important. And this is probably going to be slightly sexist, but my, uh, my, oh my, <laughs> my, my, look out, hold on, go on. <laughs> no, but my female co-founder, my female clients get this way quicker. They, oh, okay. They, okay. they, like, we've got, we've got probably like maybe 60%, I think, female clients and they're phenomenal to work with. But it seems yeah, like. Yeah, I remember. It seems like we've had that conversation. You just said they're like way, way better oh, than it's, men it's, in general. It's yeah. just no ego, right? So like maybe first mm. year of business, maybe second year of business, they'll be like, "Hey, I don't get this accounting stuff, but I get it's important. I'm gonna get someone who knows this stuff that I trust." And they do it really quickly, and they take direction, and they move on really quickly because they know all the other huge obstacles ahead of them. Guys mm. seem to try and do it themselves for maybe five or six years, ruin it completely. And then try and go back and fix it up and go get help. And uh, it's it's yeah it's 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 quite it's been quite interesting to kind of follow that mindset of people who really get the importance of the foundation and people who are a bit too um, overzealous and kind of just speed off. Quick aside, I I I don't mean to stir a pot, but like it's so funny that we were both like sort of like on edge when you said this might be sexist, and then as soon as it was like sexist in a way that was like not, pro-female yeah pro-female we both just we're both like oh okay okay yeah so, uh, so it is weird right? i was yeah. thinking that dude it is yeah. weird All right. it is completely no, no still further sexist. commentary necessary yeah but ruminate yeah. uh that is that's a really interesting insight though i think like that has to be a major de- that must that point must be a major detriment to creatives in general we're a hands-on type of people we don't like to outsource any part of the project yeah. even the unglamorous parts of it right yeah have you ever experienced any sort of uh, resistance in that regard in the projects you work on yeah well s- slide in the same space which is quite funny but creators tend to want to be creative in every aspect of their business mm-hmm. so that means the legal structure employment contracts their accounting yeah. like they want to do everything differently and they bring that same creative energy to each of those areas of their business when i'm kind of from the school of thought where i'm like stay creative only in your space Right, mm-hmm. uh, business, legal, been around for five hundred thousand years. We're gonna follow that. You know, yeah. don't try and reinvent something that works really, really well already. If we have to change, we can change, but just keep your creative energy for the outlet, whether it be design, uh, production, whatever it might be. Um, oh man, you see that all the time. I, I think a, a maybe more practically applicable example of that is when you see a creative. Uh, with their own enterprise or project and they're building a website yeah. and they refuse to use a template and they start from scratch yeah. for almost no reason just because they feel like every part of the process needs to be custom and it needs to be individualized and it needs to you know come from them I can feel like that can be pretty disastrous if they're trying to apply it to really inappropriate parts of the project yeah yeah you see it a lot especially with um, I see it a lot with employment contracts 
where they try to do something really unique, some compensation platform or something, they get kind of really uh, creative around it. And it looks good on paper, but then, you know, we kind of talk from a structural point of view, going, how are you going to pay these kind of levels of commission? How are you going to pay yourself this bonus? And we kind of run it through the numbers and kind of forecast a little bit. And then they kind of say, yeah, it might not be a good idea. I'm like, just, it's good to follow a template when it comes to financial and legal stuff as, as a starting point. <laughs> Respect. And therein lies the value of structure. Right? Shouts out, shouts out. There's out. a reason it exists. There's a reason why most houses are square. Yes. Most. Well, my dream, my house is gonna have it's gonna have nine bathrooms, and it's gonna be it's gonna wrap around. It's gonna be a circle. <laughs> I mean, that sounds pretty cool. Actually. Yeah, yeah, actually. Wait, May, wait. Hold plenty on. of houses Sh- aren't actually. I mean, the original houses were all like triangle shaped. Okay. I mean, I would have. I get, I feel like rectangle seems like a more common. Square implies exact sides, and I think you're wrong. I think I'm way off base. <sighs> and I'm scrap I, that. Perhaps, perhaps Vince, our guest, can regale us with tales and uh, local uh, construction techniques uh, as <laughs> as we segue nigh upon seamlessly in, into a little <laughs> a little thing we call the off-topic topic. Every week, we take a quick minute to chat about something that's. Not particularly germane, TM, to the topic at hand. And uh, this week we're talking about culture shock, or more broadly, uh, cultural differences that you may or may not have anticipated. Awesome. Uh, I, I'm guessing. I'm just going out on a limb. Are you a bit of a world traveler of sorts, Sean? Yeah, uh, did a lot of backpacking uh, in the early twenties. Very cool, very <laughs> not, the, cool. not the 1920s. Not the, not the 1920s, 1920s yeah, the 21, 22, the 23. 20s yet. 28 now, so uh, it seems like a lifetime ago. I, I'd be remiss not to ask. I have a friend uh, who lives in Australia, and I told her we were going to have a Kiwi on today. And she said, tell them in Australia and ask them how their sheep were going and to give them a break. Yeah, it's hilarious. Tell her I said hi. <laughs> yeah, like haven't, haven't heard that one before. Jokes Shouts out like to Natalia. <laughs> Shouts out to Natalia after no, that it, one. It's, 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 it's a very nice robbery, obviously. New Zealand's kind of position to be Australia's younger brother. Very much like Canada and the US. Um, mm-hmm. Really rival, you know, huge rivalry. But when we're overseas, they're just like other brothers that you would meet out when you're traveling. Oh, nice. Yes, truly a sibling rivalry. Mm. You know, only we can make fun of each other. Exactly. Time. Um, well, what about some of the places you've been? Have you ever had a moment of culture shock? Oh, yeah. Before? Culture shock, huge. Um, I get it from a really unique perspective myself because I'm Indian, but born and raised in New Zealand. And my parents are actually from Fiji, which is like four, you know, three or four generations there. And so, like, Crazy. the first time I encountered, like, this unique culture shock was when I went to India. Well, I've got no relatives. I don't speak the language uh, very well. And you go there, and it's kind of like these people look like you, but you have no relation to them whatsoever, whether culturally or anything. Like I class New Zealand as home, and if anything, it'll be Fiji, which is like a distant homeland, where my parents are actually from, and I saw a lot of family over. And so I remember a real funny time being at a cafe, and they're like, hey, where are you from? And I go, I'm from New Zealand. And they go, oh, that's funny, you look Indian. And I remember, <laughs> I, remember trying to, I remember trying to explain to them how Indians arrived in New Zealand. Well, first Fiji, then New Zealand. And they just couldn't wrap their head around it. You know, uh, the first time I remember seeing someone's eyes and just seeing it completely blank. They just couldn't fathom this idea that an Indian was born and raised in New Zealand. And we've got a couple of generations in New Zealand. But, yeah, so that was probably the first time a re- really unique culture shock. That is, that's a fascinating point of view. Oof. And you haven't been to the States yet, have you? Uh, when I was much younger, I haven't gone back for a long time. We'll get you out here. Yeah, you should come visit. Um, what about people visiting you in in New Zealand? Or uh, did you call it NZ earlier? Yeah, NZ, New Zealand. Yeah. NZ, 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 <laughs> I, I right? Heard that. Um, but uh, what do people who visit New Zealand? What are, What are some moments of culture shock you've experienced, sort of secondhand? They're, they're surprised that we have like <laughs> they're kind of surprised uh, that it's not like all Lord of the Rings kind of shots up. And we actually have some, yeah. you know, dope ass restaurants. Got a good club life in Auckland. You know, we got some cool stuff happening here. But they kind of just think it's like all farmland and sheep. Yeah. You know, which is. Real- <laughs> I, I feel bad now for passing along that. I didn't think it was a dig at the. Well, I might have known better. You knew, you knew very well, <laughs> Grant Spanier. <laughs> but to, in all honesty, it's it's we have more sheep than people in our country, so it's rooted in fact. Yeah. So it's all good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's that's a classic accountant uh, point of view. 
I actually have a, a friend and coworker. He just returned a day ago um, from a three-month sabbatical. He was traveling Europe and then Australia, New Zealand. He was mentioned talking to some New Zealanders. And uh, yeah, sorry if that's not the correct Kiwis. What? Kiwis is Zealanders. Kiwis is the 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 official. Term. Is Kiwis not okay? Yeah, Kiwis is good. Kiwis is uh, Kiwis is official. New Zealand news. Right. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Talking to a couple Kiwis, and they said there's a, a semi-real phenomenon. Uh, maybe they're talking out of their ass or blown smoke for the tourist, but uh, maybe you can verify where New Zealanders have trouble traveling abroad sometimes because they're just not impressed. They don't have fun on vacation because their homeland is so great. Uh, Dude, what, do you, what do you have to say to this? It's true. <laughs> like Out of all the countries I've gone to um, and I really enjoy, um, nothing beats NZ. Like, and the reason is, everything's really close by, from beaches, snow, um, great restaurants, great gigs, everything's really close by, whether it be a quick taxi mm. or a quick flight, like, we've got it all really, really quickly, Ooh. you know, and so that's, that's probably the nice thing, is you can be, you know, in the middle of the snow in three hours, if you want, or be surfing in the next 20 minutes, like, everything's really close. Um, that's pretty awesome. And, like, yeah, yeah, and it's incredibly safe. Um, we're really uh, progressive, you know, in regards to, you know, our, our prime minister and leadership. Like, yeah, yeah. And that's why we always kind of look at the rest of the world going, what do you mean you only legalize gay marriage now? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah, you know, like, we've had an atheist prime minister, female prime ministers for, like, decades. Like, it's it's cool. Um, yeah. Man, how, what, what's the housing market like over there? Oh, horrible yeah. right now. <laughs> horrible right now. Uh, but I think no one's really, kind of, no major city is kind of doing well. Regards to the bubble oh. that's going on. Well, I didn't mean to dampen the mood. I was just making a. I want to move there. Yeah, too, we're gonna but... come there. But... Oh, dude, I got room. We'll I just got a couch. Ooh. Oh, perfect. Anytime, okay, man. That'll like, do I love... That'll do for a mere six to twelve months. <laughs> I love hanging out with the um, with with backpackers. You know, it's kind of like oh, nice. learning about new culture, and it's kind of like pretend I'm traveling, but I'm still home. They do work. I'll bring a backpack. Yeah, man. I, I need to get more people out to NZ. That's one thing. I've been on Dave's case for ages. You know, everyone needs to. Get to NZ. We can do some really cool we'll stuff here. We'll keep pushing. We'll keep pushing. We'll get out there, right. baby. Yeah, it's it's on the mental calendar. Vinny, can you tell me a little bit? I feel like the only major cultural shift situation or place you've been is uh, that I know of is Berlin. You did Berlin. Did you do a semester there or something? Yeah, I did a semester in Berlin, and then I uh, I made a, a minor pilgrimage, aka a visit oh, to yes. my extended family. I have a, I have extended family still living in the Czech Republic, or as they're calling themselves now, Czechia. Uh, much to the unpopularity of, of many of my personal family, um, but yeah, it was it was really interesting. I think a big moment of culture shock for me is um, just how much of a family member I was treated as by people who I have never met and who hadn't heard of me until literally the day before I visited them. <laughs> my my distant great aunts and uncles or you know cousins twice removed welcomed me with the most open of arms, greeted me like I was a long lost friend or their own daughter or their own son um but gender's fluid yeah exactly uh but i was uh i was really you know i was emboldened by it but i was shocked by it i was taken aback i i didn't know how to reciprocate right away because i didn't even know the names of these people i couldn't pronounce some of them uh but they were they were blood after all so it was interesting Ooh, aren't we all blood after all? Sort of. We all come. We from... have. We all have blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys ever thought about doing one it. of those uh, ancestry DNA tests? Ooh, that all the rage. No. Interesting. All the rage. Uh, I hear there a plot by the Mormon Church to get all of our <laughs> DNA and, and make us Mormon retroactively. Ooh. So shouts out to Ancestry.com for further new vision. Joseph Campbell. <laughs> Grant. What about you? What What's a moment of culture shock for you mm, Okay, actually, well, I did like five weeks in Spain, in Sevilla, a study abroad there, and I lived with a family, which was super interesting. Just, I mean, I spoke Spanish, like I was minoring, and I was taking a Spanish class there, but it was still, there was like, there were a lot of like, uh, I would say, body language and other sort of uh, cues that get missed. And, and I would say, though, the... The most interesting culture shock, not even culture shock, but cultural difference is we grow up, like we're from Minnesota, or I guess you're from Wisconsin, but the Midwest uh, of the United States is classically sort of, 
humble and passive aggressive and industrious. Closed off. But I do feel like just in domestic travel, in spending a lot of time on both coasts, I I just there's so much more directness. Um, whether that's in California or New York and or just in some other places, I just feel like there's so much more directness and less um, tiptoeing, less passive aggressiveness and. I don't know. I just really appreciate that. I feel like it's like a lot more productive sometimes. Although, of course, I appreciate the the general niceness of Minnesota. That's something I would maybe notice in Spain is like people don't really meet eyes with you the same way. In Minnesota, it's like so classic. Like you just you meet eyes with like a lot of people. Do you not? Yeah, I I do. It's because there's no fear of starting up a conversation, even if we do laugh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. You you can do it safely, knowing that you'll both continue silently on your way with a curt <laughs> nod. To accent the meeting only. Um, I don't know. I see it both ways. I think there's there's something to be said for face-saving cultures, which I think we're partially part of, um, being a, a byproduct of Scandinavian influence. Uh, there is productivity to be had in maintaining systems and avoiding confrontation unless mm. extremely necessary. Uh, so I, I'm not ready to say wholeheartedly that a more direct approach uh, with a, maybe a more extroverted culture set is is necessarily the most productive but it can definitely be very refreshing just to be able to get rid of all of those preoccupations about you know when and how you can say something and act Mm, the sweet sweet waters of directness (laughs) it definitely fits your personal style better sure that's fair i'll accept that do they think you're a spanish uh when you're in spain Eh, not so much I do have like Spanish German ancestry, but I'm pretty. Your Caucasian. name means Spaniard in German. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So my ancestors immigrated to Germany and then took the sort of non-last name of Spaniard, which was just literally describing where they had come from, <laughs> and then they came to the United States. Hey, you gotta admire the pragmatism. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I don't think anyone was too quickly mistaking me for Spanish. I love those basic last names, you know, like blacksmith, because you came from a line of blacksmiths. You know, it was yeah. just so much easier to understand. Yeah, yeah. We should bring it back. I'll bring it. Yeah, we'll we'll get that going, buddy. I mean, you sort of have one of those, right? Because you're such a good singer. Exactly. That's another. You're from a long line of performers. I've had that joke my whole childhood as well. Oh, wow, wow. Uh, two for two today, baby. That's how we do it. Cliches. We love them here on 10,000 Hours. Hate original thought. Um, well, any closing culture shock thoughts? What's a what's a way you insulate yourself against culture shock if you're traveling since you do travel a lot? I think it's quite interesting with um, when the culture shock, when people don't look very different. Um, I, I spent a couple of months in Brazil a few years back, and there's not one Brazilian look or face. You know, you could be blonde, blue eyes, and still be Brazilian. You know, mm-hmm. but what gave you away was the mannerisms, you know, and what people mm. wore. So it was very easy to fit in if you learned the mannerisms and dressed like them and ordered food like them, hung on the beach like them. It was very easy for people just to be like, oh, yeah. Um, so the culture shock was very visual. That's what I'm trying to say. And so yeah. as I was there after, like, probably past the two-month mark, you could be like, even though he might generally look Brazilian, I was like, he's a tourist. You can just tell. The way he walked down the street, how he holds his coffee, definitely a tourist. Funny. Interesting. I, I'm realizing now, too, that I forgot about, like, Tokyo, the short trip I had there, which was probably the biggest culture shock, where I did not look like anyone, and I was very, very obviously not from there. Mm. Mm. How, how, yeah, how long were you there for? Guys. Six days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Six days in Tokyo. Isn't that a song? No, that's One Night in Bangkok. <laughs> uh not not really the same hell of a night hell of a night it was one hell of a night uh hell of a six days well you know hell guys, of a podcast oh i mean that might be overstepping it but hell of a guest that <laughs> that is true um and it's interesting how we can start to expose some of our own cultural constraints when we're in a different culture when we're looking from the outside in uh the, the structure of our own culture becomes more apparent and I think that's interesting. I think there is at least some commonality between the concepts. Going back to creative structure. Uh, first things first, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. This has been awesome. You've been a treat. And you clearly have a perspective that has been very illuminating, for me at least personally. Um, but if I could dive back in to the convo by asking you a couple questions, that would be awesome. Yeah, sure. 
All right, well, let's let's do them in order. We got two, but we'll start with one. A couple of them. Yeah, just a pair. Number one goes Something first. like this. Sean, if you would want our listeners to support you, which we want our listeners to support you, how could they do that? Uh, follow me on Twitter. Like all my tweets. Retweet everything I say. Born Sean, right? Yeah, born Great Sean. Great tweets, uh, man. Born Sean. Uh, go sign up to the Dithostock uh, free email list. Woo! Um, yeah, and send me funny jokes, any funny Drake memes, I'm always for it. I have a lot of really funny jokes for you. I know I've already shared a couple with you so far on the podcast, but I'll send send you a couple more. First listeners, send your hottest and spiciest Drake memes across the pond out there to New Zealand. Uh, You can find that email of yours on your website. Or just tweet them, probably. Just tweet. Probably the easiest yeah. thing. And that's probably the most people right. actually do. No, what, what's your personal home address so they can mail you physical copies of the memes? <laughs> one free one, Bradbury Road, Auckland, and follow, New Zealand. follow Sean on Rap Chat. Right? <laughs> He's <laughs> dropping some fire, yeah. fire, fire. It's on SoundCloud. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, great answer. Second question, just as important. If you would like our listeners to take one thing away from your time on the show, what would you want that to be? Find an accountant and hug them. Is kissing too far? Kissing might be a little bit too far, but try it. You come 16, you should, they should come 40, right? It was the other way around. No, you come 40, <laughs> they come 60. But yeah, just, right. because, <laughs> just because, you know, accountants like good accountants are fucking saints. You know, they take the stress of their own business as well as everyone else's stresses in their business and put it on their back and help you through it. You know, and I feel Dude. that they're not getting enough love, and a lot of them quit their profession. A lot of people don't want to be accountants, but like they play such a pivotal role because, like you mentioned, accountants are like financial therapy—the good ones—and we need that more. And we're gonna keep making cool shit in this world. Fuck yeah, I dude, I I had a conversation with someone a few months ago. It was like coming up to tax time. And they were like, asked me about my finances or like asked me if I had like an accountant or a tax guy. And I was like, I was on the phone with them. I was like, ha, ha, ha. I'm so happy for you that you've asked me this question because I have an excellent, excellent, excellent motherfucker who for the past three years has helped me sleep better mm, Yeah. and has saved me so much money Yes. Be, like, and has just helped guide me. And it's just like, yes. And everyone's so, it's just like therapy, right? Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I'm scared to get help because I don't want to admit that yeah. I need it. And get over your fucking ego, Dude. especially fellas, yeah. but everyone. Yeah. It's just like, God, yes, absolutely. And hug them. Appreciate them yeah. because they are gods among and men. They are. And and even especially because there's the absolute opposite happening way too often where accountants are seen as the bad guy. Oh, the, yeah. the person putting the cage around your free bird that is your idea. Yes. When that's, that's honestly just not the case. It couldn't be further from the truth. So celebrate they're, them. They're the one who's like making sure you have enough food to feed the bird so it doesn't die. Yeah. Like <laughs> yes. so many so that's, many creatives like exactly don't want to put the cage around it and then all their birds die. Yeah. And then they're like, why all the dead birds? And they don't get enough, it's, it's not a sexy profession. You know, they don't they're not gonna be the you know, ship some really great content or release something amazing which is gonna get heaps of shares and be interacted with. You know, they spend a lot of time in their spreadsheet. You know, checking the numbers, making sure everything's financially sound. And a lot of the work doesn't actually get seen by people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a mm-hmm. real hard thing. Dude, and shouts out for doing that work and for, like, spreading that message. I, it's, like, taking pride in that is amazing. I think we, we just, like, tweeted something from Death to Stock recently. And Dave and I were talking about this, too, which was just, like, you can anything is an art. Yeah. It's all about, like, the application. And... Dude, shouts the fuck out for applying your artistic energy and perspective and creativity to an undervalued and underappreciated profession. Fuck yeah, Sean. Same. Amen. Dude, Amen. Thank you so much for having Born, me. This was so much Born fun. Sean. <laughs> gonna die, Sean. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much, man, for joining us. This was a blast. Uh, I do have one more request. I have a final request. Yep. If you'd be so very kind. Could you give us our customary sign-off, which is ship it? But usually we have the guest uh, spit a freestyle and then they say ship it at the end. Uh, no way. I only spit written, so I can't do that freestyle. No, we don't do that. <laughs> we don't do that. We don't, don't do that. Do that. That's, uh, we Just don't to ship it would be great if you could. Ship it. Don't think. Nailed it. Ship Perfect. It. Oh, I, fr- I ad-libbed. Ship it. <laughs> 
Done. Wait, wait. Tr- uh, tr- try one more. Try one more with like a cool tag already, on in front of it. We're already already off the tape. You got it. Oh, okay. Ship okay. Is gold. Yeah, you're you're in. You're in, man. It's all good. I don't know. I think this might make the final cut. Sip it. All right, we have to use that one now. <laughs> now you've just signed yourself up for the whole part before it being just, the show. Yeah, you've really screwed yourself here. Just please don't say ship it again because then that would force us to further it. <laughs> this is a lot of fun, man. This is really cool. This is how podcast should be. Okay.